Welcome to Infection Prevention Spotlight with Certified Infection Control Nurse, Kara Mullane. Can your child's school desk make them sick? Can your hospital room's cleanliness correlate to a higher C. diff infection rate for the hospital? Today, this podcast, it is all about environmental cleanliness. You won't want to miss this. Welcome to the Research Behind Infection Prevention, where Dr. Mohamed Yassin provides tough questions to top researchers and leaders in their field. This podcast is a collaboration between Infection Prevention Spotlight and the American Journal of Infection Control. If you're interested to find out more on these topics, please go to the April 2021 edition of AGIC. Today, we have the pleasure to hear from Dr. Jordan Peccia as he discusses his study on the occurrence of respiratory viruses on school desks. We will also have a summary of the research by Dr. Danielle Durant. Can patient-reported room cleanliness measures predict hospital-acquired C. difficile infection? Today's podcast, it is all about environmental cleanliness, or the lack thereof, and how it can affect our health. So please stay tuned. The first major article we'll be discussing from the April 2020 edition of AGIC is titled Occurrence of Respiratory Viruses on School Desks by Alessandro Zuli, Jordan Peccia, et al. This paper is addressing at least a part of an important question about transmission of respiratory viruses within a school environment. Schools represent high occupancy and high incidence of respiratory infections. The goal of the study was to report on the area density, occurrence, and type of respiratory viruses on desks in primary school classrooms. The authors measured five different common viruses, adenovirus, rhinovirus, coronavirus, OC43, influenza A, and norovirus. The paper addresses the role of high-touch environmental surfaces in the potential of spread of pathogens, which is a common concern of all infection prevention professionals. This sampling was performed from desktops in two different schools between January and May 2019. Samples were obtained using sterile swabs. Viral quantification was performed using PCR, with details of technology adequately mentioned. Adenosine triphosphate, ATP, surface testing was also performed at the same time of viral sampling. The results showed that rhinovirus was the most commonly detected, 9% with influenza A not detected on any of the surfaces. The viral concentration was identical with rhinovirus as the highest concentration, followed by adenovirus, norovirus, and coronavirus. The probability of encountering a virus-positive desk was 20%. Of interest that ATP testing did not correlate with virus concentration. Now for some editorial comments by Dr. Mohamed Yassin. The study is a pilot study with a small number of observations. It makes it hard to generalize results for many reasons. First, the desktop material could be very different. Second, larger number of sampling with specified times of the day are very important to clarify the results. It is clear that surfaces are more contaminated at the end of day use. Third, the same limitation is also true for the timing of ATP testing. Fourth, getting information about the student's health will be very important to understand the environmental sampling even better. And finally, there is a limitation in P 
PCR use for detection of certain viruses based on the primers used. This could lead to significant loss of viral data. However, the study clearly documented two important points. The first is related to the contamination of desks with viral particles and the second is related to the correlation of ATP testing with viral presence, which was also seen with bacterial pathogens before. And now we have the great pleasure to have Dr. Jordan Peccia expand on his team's study and their results. Dr. Peccia, we have read your paper with a lot of interest. We understand that your paper adds to the understanding of the role of the environment in pathogen transmission. And we are so pleased that you have agreed to answer a few of our questions for our podcast audience. So for the first question, your study did not specify the exact time of day that you did the swabs. What do you think is the best time to measure the bio burden on these surfaces? We sampled around 4 p.m. each day. After 4 p.m., school day was over, the students had left, and that gave access to our group to come in and take samples. The time of day specifically in this study for sampling, wasn't that important. And that's because these desks were not cleaned on a daily basis. Rather, they were cleaned only once per semester. So it didn't matter much what time of day that we sampled. We chose at the end of the day because of access, but that also allowed us to probably get the highest concentration on the days that we did sample desks. Overall, the factors that are important in choosing a time of day would be things like what the cleaning schedule is, as well as the occupancy schedule. The big mistake you don't want to make here is that you don't want to sample, obviously, after the cleaning crew has come in and cleaned surfaces. The choice of common viruses is absolutely representative of the common viral infections in school children. Would you comment on the specific PCR primers and potentially missing many strains that may not have been detected by that specific PCR primer? We sampled for several respiratory viruses and one gastrointestinal virus, norovirus. A strategy for qPCR primers was to use primers that got the most amount of viruses for the least amount of PCR analyses. So for example, adenovirus has more than 50 strains that infect humans. Rather than using 50 different qPCR primer sets and running 50 different assays for each sample simply for an adenovirus sample, we chose to run with PCR primers that circumscribed all of those viruses. And so it was a much more efficient way to get at it. disadvantage, of course, of a process like that is that you're not always able to identify precisely the strain that's present. You could certainly do that by sequencing, but the advantage of that is the economy of the process and the fact that when you have a desk swab, there's a small amount of DNA or RNA that comes from that, and you can't necessarily divide that into multiple qPCR assays because they'll dilute it so much that your limited detection will be very low. For question three, Would you think self-reported or teacher-reported student symptoms would add to the interpretation of the results? It certainly would have been useful to have information on self-reported symptoms or information from the teacher on reported symptoms in the classroom. In fact, there were some cases, particularly for norovirus, where the positive deaths seemed to be clustered within specific classrooms, indicated there could have been some small outbreaks in those cases. And a teacher would have certainly noticed something like that. Overall, where I think this science needs to go is we need to get a much better understanding of how environmental monitoring, specifically monitoring surfaces for viruses, links to risk of infection. 
right now that we know when a surface is positive, that it means that at some point a person has shed onto that surface that probably had an active infection. But we're woefully bad right now at linking this type of data, concentrations or occurrence of viruses on surfaces with the risk of infection in a building. I think there's a lot more epidemiology that needs to be done. And as we get better and better at taking these types of measurements, I'm hopeful in the future that that will occur. Now on to question four. The harder question for us as infection prevention specialists is to determine the correlation between viral type, burden, and student outcome. In other words, from your experience, how can you determine the threshold of an infectious dose? You know, there are a few ways to think about that question. One way to think about it would be as classic fomite transmission. That is, an infected person is in the building, they touch or shed onto that surface. There's some decay associated with the virus on that surface, a decay in infectivity. Then another person sits at the desk, they touch it. There's some probability associated with them touching the surface at the right spot, as well as touching a mucous membrane and getting that viable or infectious virus into their body. And then, of course, there's a dose response associated with whether they get infection or not. All of that can be handled conceptually, although the variables are pretty large in this case, with uh, something like quantitative microbial risk assessment. But I don't think that that's the best way to think about it. I think a more general and more appropriate way to think about it is that if we're going to monitor surfaces, that means that somebody who was infectious was in the building, and at some point through epidemiology, we may be able to build an association with either the occurrence of viruses on a surface or the concentration of viruses on a surface and the probability of other people in that building to getting infected. In order to do that, it's probably going to be empirical. We're going to probably have to do detailed epidemiology studies on some outbreaks. But I think that that is uh, something that we can get to and certainly something worth doing for things like SARS-CoV-2, influenza, and even rhinovirus. And now our final question. The use of ATP was obviously not much help for correlation with viral results. Would the authors think of any additional testing to determine the burden of biological material on environmental surfaces? I'm not overly surprised that there was no correlation or association between ATP content and virus occurrence or concentration in the study. ATP measures surface cleanliness. And one can see that um, there's a buildup of bacteria, fungi, and human skin cells on a surface, all which contain ATP over time. And so the cleaner that surface is, the lower the ATP content. A surface can get a high ATP concentration without an infectious person ever going near it. That is, uh, you know, the cells that are shed from our body, bacteria, and fungi that are shed not only from us, but also that deposit from the environment will all contribute to the ATP of a surface. For an infectious virus to be on the surface, an infectious person has to sit or stand or come into contact with that surface. Overall, I'm not such a big fan of thinking about different proxies to measure viruses on surfaces. And that's because, one, in this case, it didn't look like the ATP worked well. But the bigger issue here is that, you know, we have enough trouble right now on our hands trying to associate the actual presence of a virus and a health outcome. 
And I think that our focus needs to be placed in building those associations versus trying to go one further step and now associate viruses with some easier to measure proxy. I also would say that the measurement of viruses is getting easier and easier. The SARS-CoV-2 pandemic had a lot to do with that. It's easier now to automate RNA extraction for environmental samples. qPCR, digital droplet PCR are technologies that can measure viruses on surface very accurately. There's better fidelity in the reagents that we use in our labs right now to do environmental analyses. And so I really do think that we're moving into an era where we don't have to use these simple-to-use proxies. We can go for it, and we can build monitoring programs on measuring the actual etiological agents. Thank you to Dr. Jordan Petya and team for this very needed work, especially at this time. And hopefully this study will only be the beginning as researchers look to keep our children safe while at school. The second summary today from the April edition of the American Journal of Infection Control. Titled, Can Patient-Reported Room Cleanliness Measures Predict Hospital-Acquired C. difficile Infection? A Study of Acute Care Facilities in New York State. Author, Dr. Danielle Durant. This research paper is trying to answer an important question, does looking clean correlate with less hospital-associated infections, focused on C. diff as a marker? Moreover, the author is stating that patient experience is part of the HCAP score. In brief, patient's experience about cleanliness is important, but it is also associated with less hospital-associated infection. The data was extracted from New York State hospitals between January 2013 to March 2016. The hospital-associated C. difficile infection data was collected. The patient's perception of cleanliness was extracted from HCAPs with hospital comparison. The grading was listed as never, sometimes, usually, and always clean. 151 facilities were included in the analysis. Most of them were not from the New York urban area. Analysis methods. Study design. Time series analysis using a random effects approach with separate regression models. The random effect model is important to represent the heterogeneity during the study period. Results. The authors found a significant negative relationship between the percentage of patients indicating their room was always clep clean and hospital-associated C. difficile infection rates. In other words, the greater the percentage of patients indicating their room was always kept clean at a facility, the lower the hospital's hospital-associated C. difficile infection rate. Discussion. The results are not unexpected, but absolutely important to highlight the importance of perception of cleanliness and its correlation with hospital-associated infections. The study has important limitations. First, Prescani's analysis does not control for confounding for C. diff. The response to the study was low. Additionally, there was no recording of antibiotic use. And now for some editorial comments by Dr. Mohamed Yassin. Professionals in infection prevention should be familiar with the study design as a common way of predicting relationships between variables over time. We always try to figure out if this intervention or observation had an important impact on certain infections. We need to be familiar with time series analysis. It simply means collection of data points organized in time. It helps understanding the relationship between variables and if it changes over time. Typically, 
outliers are removed. A test, Durbin-Watson, is used to study the effect of random error or variability of the data over time. We should try to minimize the confounding. Additionally, important risk factors should be always included in our models. I find that time series analysis a must for infection prevention departments to be familiar with, and they are capable of understanding all important variables that can affect their outcome. The use of fixed effects versus random effects has been debated for a long time. In this paper, the authors explained very well why they used random effects, small sample size, random selection of time and units, and for better generalization on larger population. These reasons are common for infection prevention professionals to use this model. Thank you once again to Dr. Jordan Peccia and Dr. Danielle Durant. And thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you want to find out more, please do go to the April 2020 edition of AGIC to read the full articles. From the American Journal of Infection Control and Infection Prevention Spotlight, thank you for all you do to prevent infections. Take care. And please remember, wash your hands.